Well, as we move forward today, uh, we've got a question to sort of ease into Romans chapter 6, which is where we're at in our uh, Roman through Romans series. We'll break, of course, next week from that. But the question for today, and, and maybe you're thinking, well, that seems like an odd question, but as we uh, delve in a little bit further, maybe you'll understand where I'm coming from. When it comes to Christian baptism, are you all in? Would you say you're all in? And think, about, think about the question, think about your answer to this question. If it doesn't sound like a difficult question to answer, well, of course, right? Maybe we need to think on it a little longer. Author by the name of uh, King Duncan tells a true story that happened to his grandfather, Minister G.F. Cox. One day after Sunday worship, uh, his congregation literally gathered at the river. We sang on that earlier. Thank you, Statler Brothers. Literally gathered at the river to baptize a rather tall woman who had been visiting the church. The story goes, the river was quite shallow at the time, and, and not only was there quite a difference in height between the minister and the woman, there was another issue at foot. Once again, literally. The woman wore her hair in, in a top knot. Does anyone know about the top knot? Does that ring a bell for anyone? A top knot was a then fashionable hairdo in which the hair on the lady's head appeared to spiral upward for about uh, 10 inches. If you're having a hard time uh, picturing it this morning, just think of Marge Simpson. So a short minister in a shallow river trying to fully immerse a statuesque lady with a top knot hairdo. Picture it with me. The minister began uh, laboring. He, he uh, eased the lady backward into the shallow river. Uh, as the lady made her way into the chilly water, she responded to the cold by jerking her head forward until her chin rested firmly on her chest, as we might do in response to the water. Of course, this kept her uh, top knot from being immersed, along with the rest of her. So as Brother Cox pulled her out of the water, the, the lady stood upright and, and the congregation began singing, Shall we gather at the river? The minister started moving toward the riverbank when, when she stopped him. My hair's still dry. I wasn't fully immersed. I'm sorry, you'll have to do it again. The minister said a little bit of a prayer for patience under his breath and then prepared to lower her into the river again. Once more, as soon as the lady entered the chilly water, she, she pulled her head forward as a reaction to the temperature and her top knot stuck almost defiantly out. They were going to have to try a third time. Attempt number three, Minister Cox put his left hand on the lady's forehead to make sure Marge Simpson made her full descent under the water. Finally, it worked. Spectators on the shore were laughing at the situation. But Minister Cox found a serious application for this uh, situation in a sermon some years later. It's interesting, he would write. Most of us are not like that lady. Uh, we, we don't want to be baptized completely. We often do not. Most of us want to leave something out of the water when we're baptized. Maybe it's our money, our habits, our morals, the way we do business, the way we treat one another, something, whatever it may be. Certainly an observation a minister could make, right? 
Consider that after Jesus was baptized, we mentioned this in last week's sermon, he was tested by Satan out in the wilderness. So we're going to be tempted. We're going to be tempted, sometimes bombarded, to return to the ways of the world, to continue with habits or vices that don't reflect Jesus. But the Bible says that once we're baptized into Christ, that old way of doing things, the old life is gone. This is what God's word tells us. So the question today is, are you all in? Are you all in? Turn with me to Romans chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 1 to 14. We'll get away from the Marge Simpson picture that's in your head now. Paul writes this to the church. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Verse 4. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Verse 9. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin. Once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Verse 11, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And we're going to stop there uh, for a little while this morning. We'll, get, we'll jump back into verse 12 shortly. Paul is stressing one thing to the church here. One thing. Be all in the new. The new life. The new way. Even your haircut all the way in. And this includes, but not limited to, the point of baptism. We mentioned last week, we, we were shown such an obvious example. Uh, baptism via full water immersion, seen in the example of Christ in Matthew chapter 3. And this is why we still follow suit today. Baptizing, all in. Even if it can be a challenge with haircuts or the dimensions of baptistries. Because our, our text here says, verse for we were buried, therefore with him, with Christ by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. See, immersion is so important. It's literally a going down into the water, a death and burial, a coming back up out of the water, resurrection into Christ. And then later at his ascension, Jesus will perpetuate Christian baptism, this act, Matthew 28, 19. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. In the Greek, this expression, in or into the name, 
at that ascension in verse 19, Matthew 28, signifies to literally come into the possession of another. That's what that means. When we talk about being born again, this is it. This is when it happens. This is the time. Death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Make a note, if you're taking any, of 1 Peter 3.21. This ties everything all together as well. 1 Peter 3.21 puts it this way. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Galatians 3.27 also. Going down, we're lost to the world. When we come up out of the water, we're in Jesus. We're Christians. You know, it's interesting. When the, when the King James English version of the Bible was translated, the King's translators took this Greek, baptizo, B-A-P-T-I-Z-O, traded the O out, put in an E. This was the actual event where we invented the English word baptize. And I'm only going through this in case uh, some of us don't know these things. Baptizo means submerge. It means plunge, dip, wash, immerse. And all Greek scholars, dictionaries translate the word unanimously. So full immersion was the action and in the language of Jesus, Paul, and Peter. But here's the thing. We're not just talking about when we get the full body under the water, but being absorbed by the Spirit for a lifetime following. Look again with me at verse 3 in our text. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? One preacher notes that this, this word, baptizo, would have been well understood uh, by the audience at the time Scripture was written. The Greeks used the word to describe the dying of a garment. So if you took a white garment and you dipped or submerged it into a red dye, it was no longer a white garment, right? It was no longer white. It became a red one. The same is true with a sinner who is dipped or submerged into Jesus Christ. The same is true. The Bible says our old self was crucified with him. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. So when we're dipped in, we become new people will begin to appear like Jesus. Someone has commented, well, my old self has died with Christ in baptism, but sometimes the devil does CPR and manages to resuscitate him. Do you ever feel this way? Feel like maybe that happens in your life. Do others around you appear to be living that way? Is it easy to follow the whims of the world six and a half days a week and then on Sunday morning at worship we act like the Christ followers uh, we proclaim to be after baptism? Well, sometimes I, I, I wonder. Sometimes I wonder if this, this uh, creepy little thought gets into our brain. What's wrong with this little sin? What's wrong with that little hang-up I have? What's the problem with uh, this long-term habit, this quick-fix vice? Are these things hurting anyone? After all, I'm covered in the grace of Christ, right? Sometimes we get good at, at justifying sin, don't we? Sometimes we do. We say, this is okay. Nobody has to know. Lord, just let me have a little bit of fun with my private lusts and my journeys behind the forbidden doors around me. After all, that's what everybody else, that family member, that next-door neighbor, 
those people on TV are doing? Why is this such a problem? Why is this such a problem for the preacher? But it's not the preacher that you or the family member, the next door neighbor, or those people on TV are accountable to. You see, all Christians will answer for their baptism. Do you realize that? You will answer for your baptism to the one whose name you carry. You will answer for that. So don't let the devil convince you that you can keep the proverbial haircut out of the water. That you can hang on to the vice or nurse the addiction or keep hating the neighbor who sins differently than you and still be fully in Jesus. Because if you're a baptized Christian, you've died to sin. Verse 11, look at it again with me. So you also must consider yourselves what? Dead to sin. Not an option for you to choose. Dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And you know, here's the problem with letting any sin, no matter what, remain in your life with keeping the old rags on when Christ has freely put you in a garment of red. Stories told of uh, Harry Houdini. Familiar with that name? Harry Houdini was known as one of the greatest escape artists of all time. Of all time. And for our younger people, uh, Houdini was known in the early 20th century for freeing himself from handcuffs, from chains, ropes, even straight jackets. Houdini went from being a popular vaudeville act to having a stage show which toured Europe. While in Europe, Mr. Houdini began challenging the, the local police in various places to put him in jail and keep him there. It became kind of a game for him. Got to keep his title as greatest escape artist. Well, after multiple attempts of, of keeping uh, Houdini uh, behind bars and failing, a Scottish town jail official finally succeeded. On that day, Houdini had been searched fiercely. Then the jailer shut him in his cell, turned, and walked away. Now, Harry Houdini had a secret advantage, which put him ahead of other escape artists. He apparently had a pouch of skin in his mouth where he would actually hide his picks. So even when searched, others wouldn't be able to detect his tools for the trade. That day when the, the jailer was gone, Houdini began digging out the picks to try to free himself from his shackling, where he had great success. And turning his attention to the cell door, frustration came upon him. He worked at the lock, and, and he worked some more. In fact, Harry wor uh, worked for what seemed like an eternity. But the greatest escape artist of the time never could get it unlocked. And finally, collapsing against the door in exhaustion, the jail cell had actual dominion over the so-called master of escape. And you know, sin works kind of the same way. Those little things that we do, we know we shouldn't do. We say, who's it hurting? Like Houdini's jail cell, the, the Bible actually says those sins have dominated your life. They've, they've uh, made you a slave to them. Think for a moment with me of, of the Christian entertainers, the ministers who, who lose a platform, the ones who uh, are, are brought down uh, out of ministry, maybe because of infidelity or, or secret sins. The ones who rise and fall because of unethical business practices. 
We may think we can get away with sexual sin, with addiction, with envy, with refusing to forgive someone, with neglecting somebody, with idolatry, with knowing the good we're supposed to do, yet refusing to do it, with a lack of devotional life to Christ, with hatred for someone, but all of these things for a time. But the Bible says the damage to your spiritual life will be immediate, will be immediate, dominated. Try as we might, we can't escape from sin's trap. The very nature of sin is that it spreads. In the early 1980s, rock band The Police stirred up controversy with a song called Murder by Numbers. Has anyone heard of or remember the song Murder by Numbers uh, by The Police? The lyric to this song comes from the point of view of a, of a psychopath explaining his descent into murder and justifying it. And he sings this, Once that you've decided on a killing, first you make a stone of your heart. Sounds controversial, but this is biblical. Singer Sting continues, because murder is like anything you take to, it's habit-forming need for more and more. And we might be shocked uh, at face value by this lyric's soft and sympathetic approach to the sin of killing, but listen how well it resonates if we, if we drop maybe a more socially acceptable abomination into the lyrics. It's habit-forming need for more and more because gossip is like anything you take to. Because jealousy is like anything you take to. Because lust for power or wealth is like anything you take to. Taking the name of the Lord in vain. Because smugness, because hating another person, a Muslim or a transgender or a person who votes differently is like anything you take to. Ouch, right? Sin is a trap, brothers and sisters. It's a trap. And there's no curve to grade on when it comes to sin. When it comes to Christian baptism, have you really been all in? Continue with me here, verses 12 to 14. What does Paul say? He says, let not sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Verse 13, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. And here's the kicker. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law but under grace. You know, it's a good thing. It's a God thing that today we're not under law but under grace, that we're Christians. But if we don't take these words a little more seriously when it comes to sin, we'll never be set free to live our baptized life in Christ. Now, sometimes we, we look at freshly baptized believers, don't we? And, I, and I've said this before. Sometimes we look at, at new believers, maybe, and we, we wonder uh, why so often it seems we, we take the plunge in those waters just to end up rolling around in the mud and the dirt again so quickly. Why do we still fool around with the ways of the old life? Can't we see that lapping back up the drink of the world is only going to get a dog returning to his vomit? That's Proverbs 26.11. Christian baptism isn't just a sign of a change. Christian baptism begins the change. That's Acts 2.38. It begins the change. But then it's up to us. It's up to us to be all in, to live the life to God that is promised. Just think with me. If the church was better known for living changed lives as it should be, as the Bible says it can be, if the church was better known for living peaceful lives, for living generous lives, 
instead of just continuing sinful lives uh, with Sunday morning and, and maybe some food attached? Do you think maybe we'd be stirring up these waters more and more? I think some of us do live those lives. I'm not trying to put the church down. It shows. But, but what if we all were into this living, changed lives for Jesus? What if we all considered ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus? Not just some of the time, but all of the time. All week long. Verse 11. Every now and again, uh, we might hear somebody say something uh, in complaining. You know, well, we haven't heard, we haven't heard a baptiz- uh, had a baptism in quite some time. Sometimes you might hear that about a a church or congregation. Boy, it seems like we haven't had a baptism in a while. But how are we, you and me, how are we doing in bringing people to these waters at baptism? Could we do any better? Could we do any better living not for the dying world, but for the living Jesus? Who has dominion over us? Who is holding us back or what from stirring these waters more and more than we do? The question remains, are we all in? Are we all in? Have you ever known someone who had great wealth but never used it for greater good or it seemed any good at all? You know, this time of year, we we might think of names such as uh, Ebenezer Scrooge. If you were brought up in the 1980s, you might think of uh, Scrooge McDuck. If you don't know who Scrooge McDuck is, don't worry about it. But here's a pair of names that might help illustrate what I'm talking about. There's a story told of Thelma and Victor Hayes. They were a Canadian couple who won more than $7 million playing the lottery. And this is, by the way, not an endorsement of of gambling. This is just for illustrative purposes only. Disclaimer. According to gaming officials, Thelma and Victor Hayes were one of the oldest couples to win a jackpot of this size of $7 million. And at at the time of their winnings, the couple were going on 63 years of marriage, both of them 89 years of age. When interviewed, Thelma and Victor were asked the usual question, what will you do with the money, right? What are you going to do with all those earnings? They both responded that at this stage in their life together, They were unlikely to become, quote, giddy high spenders. Instead, they decided to remain in the same retirement home where they'd lived before winning. However, both Thelma and Victor had agreed to make one personal purchase each from the winnings. Victor Hayes planned on buying a Lincoln Town car. You know, ride with style, Lincoln Town car. Meanwhile, Thelma's one item of personal purchase was the following. And she proudly told reporters, I'm getting a new pair of nylons. (laughs) Ladies, maybe you can help this young preacher understand. What are nylons? I'm kidding. As Christians, I know we may shake our heads at the idea of gambling altogether, and we may even snicker a little bit because the preacher borrowed a pulpit illustration that contained the word nylons. That doesn't happen every week. But here's my point today. Just think of the idea of having a physical fortune and using the money only to purchase a pair of nylons, right? Now, consider the logic of dying to sin in Christian baptism, of having actual, infinite, spiritual riches in Jesus Christ, of being, verse 
13, brought from death to life to use your members to God as instruments of righteousness and then still choosing to live the exact same way you did before being blessed with new life as a Christian. Friends, we so often do this in the church all the time. If you're a Christian, you have the power of life and death given to you. Just stop and think of that. You actually have eternal life over conquered death within you. Please don't waste this grace over continued sin. Don't waste it. Don't let sin entrap and enslave you. Let the Lord, not your own ways, not the ways of the world around you, the world that's dying, fill you with passion for living. Something that will. The world or the Lord? Which one will you choose? With all that God has given you. If you remember, in last week's message, we discussed choosing between two polar opposites, right? That all people are going to follow one of two different people on the biblical timeline. Ultimately, we're, we're going to look more like Adam or Jesus, the first offering death, the second offering life. In the text this morning, Paul goes on to offer us a little assistance with this decision, which is one way Christians can make actual spiritual progress in Jesus to grow in maturity in the new life we receive in him. And uh, let's read again verse 13 of Romans 6. This is a big deal here. Paul says, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Paul's saying that, oh, Christian, you yourself have tools. You have abilities. You have talents. You have gifts to use for heaven instead of hell. Maybe they're musical. Maybe they're mechanical. Maybe they're gifts of encouragement. Maybe you can make the greatest pecan pie in the history of Montcalm County. And if you have that last one, I'm going to attempt to use the tool of persuasions that you'll get busy in Christian service for our cafe after Sunday worship weekly. Don't worry, the sermon on enabling is coming. But you can use your talents and gifts as instruments for for unrighteousness, like feeding the diabetic guy pecan pie. Or you can use your talents and your gifts to get these baptistry doors in full swing. Righteousness. Here at Ferris Church of Christ, we've long since adopted this mission statement, and we've even put it out on our church sign. Mission statement. What is it? That's it. Go teach, baptize. And we've adopted go teach, baptize as a mission statement because that's the mission Jesus gave to us right before he departed, right before he ascended into heaven in Matthew 28. So the tools of the Christian trade, your your generosity, your gift of encouragement, uh, maybe my ability, uh, which is like an ability but with some extra letters, my ability to play a bass guitar, whatever, these are given to us for one purpose. One purpose. Not to glorify us, not to extend the kingdom of the self, not to spend our time even working ourselves to death, literally, but to help others find life eternally. To help others find life eternity. Where are they interested? What has God given them? It's amazing what someone might bring in here that they may serve the kingdom with. So I'd like you to take this question home. I'd like for you to pray over it during the next couple of weeks. It goes like this. How can I better glorify God? How can I better extend his kingdom today? How can I better glorify God 
and extend his kingdom today. Here's another way of asking it. How may I fully surrender this new life I've been given in Christ? A wise elder at Ferris Church has said to me, there are ways to worship God that we haven't even thought of yet. That's so true. And maybe we have to think back to our baptism. Maybe we have to think back to a time when we were newly excited about making a splash for Christ and encouraging others to do the same. As we're heading into our, uh, and continuing our Christmas celebration next weekend, you know, we're celebrating in praise and the word at the table around his birth. I can think of a no better time, uh, no better of a time for us, for the congregation at Ferris, to be in prayer about what we've held back from God. And we think about those wise men. They brought their very best, the very best. What do we bring? What have we held back? What haven't we thrown all in? We're meditating around his birth. What have we held back from God during rebirth? To borrow a blessing, folks, are, are you ready to dunk all of yourself? Certainly when temptations come your way, so that all of you gets buried with Christ and is therefore able to rise up and live with him forever. Shall we pray? Lord, I praise you for your word. I thank you for your word. We see you, divinity, maker of the universe, he who is worthy of all of our praise, in all glory, in all of everything. You became one of us. Lord, we see how you, you were all in for us. Lord, we chose to put distance. There was a time, Lord, when we walked with you, literally walked with you. We chose distance. We chose to run and to hide. But Lord, you came to us to bridge that gap again. Lord, yours is a love and a yearning for us and to be with us. It goes far beyond anything we, we can comprehend. And even today, Lord, in our lives, you reveal to us interests and talents and, and gifts and, and hobbies. Each one of these, Lord, we can use for you. Lord, I thank you for the church. I thank you for uh, this, this idea of this network, of this brotherhood, that in the name of Jesus, we can bring together all that we are ultimately, Lord, for the good of those who don't know you. Lord, I pray that we would get busy in our lives in those areas where we've held something back, where we've said, Lord, I know better. I pray, Lord, that you would convict us. This time of year, Lord, especially when, when we're thinking of sacrifice, we're thinking of what, it, what divine love truly looks like in sacrifice. Lord, I pray that you would, you would speak to our hearts, that you would convict us to give up those things that hold us back and hold others back. 
Lord, at this time, we, we're almost lost for words when we see what love truly looks like, what your love looks like. Lord, I pray that we would be your church, not just for a couple hours on Sunday morning, but all week long. We'd love our neighbor, that we'd forgive an enemy. We'd feed someone who's poor, who doesn't uh, have something that we have. I pray, Lord, that we would have the courage to live as you have died, completely self-sacrificially, so that we may assist in building the kingdom forever. In the name of Jesus, I pray these things. Amen. Today we're going to sing an old song. I think most of us are familiar with it. It's a powerful song. You know, it's a, it's a simple song, but it, it says a lot. I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. And, and at this time, I pray as we stand and, and we sing this song that, that these words won't just be on our tongues, but truly from our hearts. That with every part of us and, and all of who we are, we would decide to follow Jesus. If you haven't yet made a decision to go into these waters of baptism and begin that journey, I pray that you would come forward as we stand and sing. But maybe you have another decision to make. Maybe you've lost your way a little bit. Been you followed something else or someone else in this world. And you just want to start over and make, it, make a new commitment to follow Jesus again. If you have a public decision you'd like to make this morning, we invite you to stand and sing this powerful, old, sweet song. I've decided to follow Jesus. Would you stand? <laughs>